We're doing a series called um, From Pierced to Power. We're talking about um, what happened between the resurrection and Pentecost, if you're kind of new to church. The resurrection, everybody knows that because that's when we celebrate Easter. I thought everybody knew that, but only two people knew that. So you were like, that's a trick question. I know it. Not a trick question. That's when we celebrate Easter, right? But some of you may not be as, can, as aware of Pentecost. It happens 50 days later, Penta. 50, it happens 50 days after the resurrection. And so 50 days after Easter is always Pentecost Sunday. This year it happens to be on June the 5th. But in, for the Jews, that was something that always happened. It wasn't necessarily something special that one time. It was a, it was a celebration they had every year. But on the day of Pentecost that we read about in Acts, something special most definitely happened. And so what we've said is, and I love asking questions like this, you know, just why did Jesus not just go straight back to heaven, right? Like, why did he rise from the dead and then hang out for 40 days and then tell his disciples to wait 10 more days? Like, outside of the Jewish feast calendar, and I know that's, that's a big deal too, but just practically, what was happening during those moments? And so we've talked about a couple of them. And, and if you don't, if you just show up to church, like, you know, if you're like the average church attender who comes 1.9 times a month, then you're missing some of, the, some of the teaching that happens in these series. And so that's why we video them. That's why we put them online. Because some of these, if you missed them, you need to go back and hear them, right? So we've talked about, um, man, we talked about grudges. You know anybody that's holding a grudge? Talking about grudges like how Jesus restored Peter and how Mary had to step beyond the, the, the sword of being pierced by watching Peter deny her son right we're going to see that come to play again today I mean, last week pastor larry talking about the fruit of long suffering like when you're going from pierce to power how many of you know there's some waiting involved in that and that it just so it just encouraged me to hear pastor larry talk about how long suffering is a fruit of the spirit like god says I know you're going to be waiting and you're going to be going through it. So here, I'm giving you a gift called long-suffering. You're going to get through this. I love that. So all of these are important. If you've missed any of them, go back and, and please listen to them. Today, we're going to be in Acts. We're going to be all over the place. That's why you need to take notes. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 especially. Um, and we're talking about waiting. How many of you have ever spent any time waiting? This might interest you, and it might not. This might be stuff that only interests me, but the average person spends five years of their life waiting in line. Six months of that is waiting at stoplights. So the next time you don't go fast enough and somebody beeps, you'll just know. Don't wait in a while. <laughs> They're ready to go. Six months of our lives spent waiting at red lights. Oh, it's crazy. We spend a lot of time waiting. And so I want us to look at Acts chapter 1. Um, so let's start in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So again, see this, like this whole beginning of Acts, he's talking about, I wrote this so that you could see all the things that happened as Jesus was still with us before he went back to heaven. Right? From Pierce to power. 
He says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. We don't have time to go into this, but listen, we don't have a mindless, uh, mindless faith. We don't like take our brain out, set it aside, and just sing all the time, right? Like God's engaging our heart and our mind. And I love that he says there were many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. If you're taking notes, we're going to talk about two commands today. The Great Commission, which you've all probably heard of, most of you have, and the Great Submission. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. But wait for the gift my Father promised. God, once again, we ask you to open our hearts so we can receive this word from you. This gift from you. Yeah, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Keep your finger there and flip back to the last chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. And let's just briefly talk about the Great Commission. Most of you, I'm sure, have heard this at some point in your life if you've been in church. And so uh, we'll just read it briefly. And, and then let me just make a couple notes about it. And then we'll go back to Acts chapter 1. So... Matthew chapter 28, we'll start in verse 16. Um, you might even have a Bible that labels this the Great Commission. How many of you have that? Yeah, so that's always good for me, right? It's easy to know what they're talking about. It's right there. And this is what it says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. How many were there? 11. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Which 11 were these? I mean, I'm not trying to be like, I know you're smart, but I think sometimes we read the Bible and we miss really important things because we just think, why, would, why is that important? How many people were there? Eleven. And which eleven were they? The disciples. These weren't like eleven people who had just kind of heard about Jesus. Are you, are you with me? They were like followers of Jesus. And that those eleven went with Jesus to the mountain. And when they saw him... They worshiped him, but some doubted. Have you ever been in a room where you couldn't hide? I mean, some of y'all feel that way right now. <laughs> I mean, I've been in small groups. I, I don't hide this from anybody. You know, like if, you, if I've talked to you any about my life, um, I've got stuff that just makes me like, sometimes I just feel like every eye is on me, and it just makes me almost have a panic attack. And I have been in small settings where that happens and, like, sweat just starts running down. And, like, there's nowhere to hide. There's nothing. You don't even know. What do you even say? Like, you turn to your five closest friends and go, I don't know what it is that's making me freak out, but it's happening. Like, there are times you can't hide. And for these 11, I don't know how many worshipped and how many doubted, right? They don't give us the breakdown, like, six did this and five did that. But 11's not a lot. And I would say in that moment, it was probably fairly obvious which ones were worshiping and which ones were doubting. Now, the worshipers might not have seen the doubters because I've seen some of y'all worship and you're all in. You got the rock and we got, we got all this stuff going on, right? So we might not be aware of what's happening in the room, but who were they worshiping? You think he was aware? 
I would think so. I think he's like receiving the worship and also interceding for the doubters, right? Are you with me? I mean, this is important, okay? The reason why it's important is because, and we talked about this in the very first week, it's called The Disciples Doubted, You Can Too. The reason this is important is because there is an entire generation that is walking away from the church because the church doesn't know how to talk about doubt and suffering and hard things. And I don't have all the answers, and I don't know that God does either, and I don't know what to do with that. We have raised a generation and not given them freedom to actually say out loud what they're wondering about. Well, just love God more, brother. And, and I just need to drop this on you. Jesus saw people worshiping and people doubting. Not any people, the 11 men he had been with for three years. And in that moment, he spoke to all of them and gave them the Great Commission. See, you thought the Great Commission was just something that, like, Baptist preachers thought up. It just sounds so good. Because Jesus said it, right? It's a big deal because Jesus said it, and he didn't just say it to the on-fire, sold-out group. He said it to those who worshiped and those who doubted. So that's good, right? Because you're in one of those two camps today. And so if you are breathing and following Jesus, this is what he said to you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and what does therefore mean? Yeah, look and see what it's there for. So because I said that, you should do what I'm fixing to say. Fixing is a southern word, but I'm sure it's in the Greek. <laughs> therefore, go. I heard a Christian comedian way back in the day, and one of his big lines was, the first two letters of the word God spell... And the first three letters of the word Satan spell, yeah. Jesus says, because I have all authority, you better go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How many? America. All. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's two things I want you to notice about the Great Commission. It was given to doubters. We just talked about that in verse 17. And it was given for doing. Notice all the action verbs. Go, make, baptize, teach. Now in the Greek... The key action is make disciples. So we talk about going a lot. But what he really was saying was, as you go, wherever you go, whoever you go with, make disciples. Well, how will we do that? You will teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. I, I didn't even mean to spend this much time on it, but I want to make sure you get this. We really celebrate good teachers, don't we? You should come to my church. Nobody can break it down like my pastor. I mean, I'm just quoting what I've heard you say. <laughs> he didn't, the, 
the Great Commission wasn't to teach them. It was to teach them to obey. Like, make disciples by teaching them to do all that I've commanded you. Um, teenagers in the room, don't answer this out loud. But isn't, easier, isn't it easier to learn how to do something when the person that's teaching you is also doing it? Isn't this why teenagers and parents have a problem sometimes? Because the parents are like, don't smoke, son. I don't even know how to smoke, so I don't even know what that was. You're like, that's how you look a lollipop, dude. I have no idea what I'm even doing. Is that even, anyway, it doesn't matter. I confuse myself. It's like when we're not doing what we're asking somebody else to do, that's an easy out for them. So we're commanded by Jesus in the Great Commission to teach others to do all. How much? All that he commanded. Back to the word from Psalm 106. And when Pastor Bridget was talking about holiness, right? We think that's some legalistic thing. Like It's not legalistic. Jesus is just like, I'm worth you setting everything in your life aside. There shouldn't be anything in your life that is a bigger yes to you than me. That's not, that's not legalism. That's just love, right? Like I would, I would give up anything except Swedish Fish and Magic Shell maybe for Wendy. I would also give up Swedish Fish, but not the Magic Shell. That stuff's so good. I'd also give that up. Like when you love someone, everything else pales, right? And I think we're getting this place where like God is reproving the church for doing a lot of teaching, not a lot of doing. Like teach them to do all. Not just the ones you like or I like, but all. It was given to doubters and it was given for doing. Now, not a trick question. You've got 10 fingers. You don't have to say it out loud, but use your hands, okay? I want you to hold up on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being eh, optional, 10 being we should probably pay attention. How important do you think the Great Commission is to Christians? Yeah, I'm thinking 10. Is it just me? So check this out. Back to Acts chapter 1. Um, we'll just say it's starting verse 2 again. After his suffering, he presented himself to them, them being his disciples, and gave, them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He was just making sure they knew, like, this is me. I'm here. It's really me. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, the last thing that they had heard him talk about was what? The Great Commission. How important is that on a scale of 1 to 10? Pretty important. It was given to doubters, and it was given for doing. It's an action, right? It's so important that Jesus said, but wait. Okay. Raise your hand if you're married to a list-making type A person. Some of you are like, I'm scared to raise my hand. They'll kill me, right? It's okay. We already knew. I, that's not me. Okay, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with being a list-making type A person. It's all personalities. It's how God made us. But 
Doesn't it make you scratch your head a little bit that Jesus would say, all authority has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. I'll be with you for the rest of time to the ends of the age. Can't you see the disciples going, yeah, like they're, they're in the locker room. Coach is giving the, the halftime speech or whatever, and he's like, we're going to go, let's go, yeah, right? Braveheart, freedom, wait. I'm sorry, I did not, oh. That was very loud and, sorry. Have you ever been in a situation where you couldn't hide? how I feel right now. I'm so sorry. We'll let Wendy finish it out. <laughs> Obviously not a Braveheart fan. Okay, so, um, so they're all wound up, right? They're pumped. Like, let's go do this thing. It was given to, I was a doubter, but now you still, you still empowered me to go, and now I want to go, and it's, it's all about doing, so let's do it. And Jesus is like, but I need you to wait. And I'm just going to submit this to you. This is the great submission. Because it makes no sense. It makes no sense from the disciples' perspective for him to give them such a great command. Like, the world needs this message. And you're the ones that I'm sending. I'm the only way. He said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way. Not the most preferred. I'm the way. Like, which means, translation, everybody that dies and doesn't know Jesus, they don't, have, they don't have one destination. It's not politically correct, but it's eternally correct. And they knew it. And it was so important that Jesus said, wait. And I'm just, I'm just suggesting that if it was important enough for him to say that they should wait, then whatever they were waiting for was of supreme importance. And what they were waiting for was a gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. Isn't it? We'll talk about this in a minute. Isn't it amazing how we always try to figure God out? I'm going to do a new thing. So now, the new thing, is it going to be like, Jesus is like, it's new. Never before seen. Oh, is it like the other? It's new. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Oh, is this when you're going to restore? And he's like, it's not for you to know. The times of the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And right as soon as he said it, the Bible says he was gone. And I love verse 10 because verse 10 is the disciples doing this. They were so quick to obey God. He said, go to Jerusalem. Don't leave. Wait there. And as soon as he went up, they were like, whoa. <sighs> The Bible says they looked up intently because they thought he might come right back down. They looked so long that God had to send angels to say, hello, what are y'all doing? 
He said, go to Jerusalem. Shuffle back. And they waited in Jerusalem. So now we come to the great submission, and that's the great submission. Verse 4, wait, wait. And the disciples had to submit to that word. Now, I don't, I don't know how you are. If you're like, I'm going to just gut it out, and I'm going to just do it on my own power and my own strength. Francis Chan talks about how a lot doesn't get done in the church because we're pushing tractors to cut grass when we were supposed to put gas in the tractor and let the tractor cut the grass. I think that we, we gut through, we grind through. It makes us feel good about ourselves. I'm a man, man. You know, again, I'll just do it. And I think if they had tried to go do that, they would never have succeeded. It's like you can't, you, he's like, you can't fulfill the great commission without the great submission, which is, I need you to trust me and I need you to wait. I need you to sit in a waiting room. And y'all, I've, I've been in some waiting rooms. Sometimes they're exciting, right? Like the baby's coming, and you're like, oh, I'm nervous. But like every time I've been in a waiting room, which I think was once because the boys came so soon, but like you're waiting, you know the baby's coming, and you're also super glad you're not the one delivering it. <laughs> it's the man's perspective, right? It's totally different from the woman's perspective. But some waiting rooms are not fun. Like when the doctor gives you a test and says, we'll call you with the results. Why is it that they, it seems like they always test for cancer on Friday and call on Monday? Is that the longest weekend ever? It's not a waiting, right? Waiting in a, in a doctor's room for them to come and call one of your children to come back to find out what's wrong. Waiting in hospital rooms. Man, waiting rooms aren't fun. And we haven't even talked about the DMV, y'all. <laughs> as much as the Great Commission mattered, it couldn't be done without the power that they had to wait for. So let's talk about the waiting. I'm going to give you a ton of scripture in just a second, okay? The, the Greek word for waiting that's used in verse 4 is also used in Genesis 49, 18. Now, the Old Testament is in Hebrew, and the New, New Testament is in Greek. But there is a version of the Bible called the Septuagint. Do you feel smarter already? Yeah. And the Septuagint is like they just wrote Greek for all of it. So they took the Hebrew and they put Greek instead. So it was a Greek Bible, and the word they used in Genesis um, 49, 18 for wait is the word that's right here in, in this verse. When Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem, that's the word that was used in Genesis 49, 18. And that, that verse simply says, for your salvation, I wait, O Lord. So if you look at the, the Greek, the Hebrew word for wait, are you still with me? I know this is all over the place. So the Hebrew word for wait is kava. Now kava is a fantastic restaurant in Charlotte. Seriously, it's good. And Concord, and it's also, like, it was in New York. We, I mean, anywhere we go, we look for a But that's, that's C-A-V-A, and the Hebrew word is Q-A-V-A. Say the, say the same word, kava. And it's, let's listen to the meaning. It's a primitive root, and it means to bind together, perhaps by twisting, as in collect, to expect, to gather together, look patiently, 
tarry, wait. And then in, in the lexicon that I studied, it, it actually says this, that it, it had a meaning of twisting and stretching that led to the tension of enduring and waiting. It also had the flavor of a rope being strengthened by the twisting together of strands and threads. There's a lot to unpack there. Jesus said, I need y'all, not you, I need y'all, community, to go and wait for the gift. And in the waiting, by the way, y'all, there's going to be stretching and twisting and a lot of what's happening right now. How much longer do we have to wait? Is this line ever going to start moving? But what I'm doing in the waiting is I'm twisting you together like strands in a rope. That will be strong. That's the word that's used here. We should all, as a church, go eat at Kava. Just to solidify that word, right? He says, I need you to Kava together. I feel like that's from God. Kava together. Now, some verses, just to jot down. Psalm 25, 21. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on you. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 5. I kava for the Lord. My soul does wait and in his word do I hope. First of all, I hope you're noticing this if you're taking notes. If not, you're just nibbling at the table, right? Don't be a nibbler. Tell your person actually, don't be a nibbler. Don't nibble truth. Write it down. Study it, right? Be like the Bereans. I hope you notice this right away. In, verse, in Psalm 25, 21, we read that. that We're not just waiting. It's not a passive word. There are things happening while we wait. One, integrity and uprightness is a part of our lives. You see that? It's a part of who we are. It helps us to wait. We're not just waiting for the Lord in Psalm 27, 14, but we're actually being strong and we're encouraging our hearts. The difference between discourage and encourage is when you discourage someone, you literally cut them off from the courage that they need. You discourage them. And when you encourage, guess what you do? You put courage in them. Psalm 130, not only I, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, but then what does he say? And in his word do I hope. Like, listen, I love you enough to say this. If it's all you can do to read the verse of the day, you're not going to have a lot in you when it comes time to wait. In your word do I hope. Every time you open the Bible, every time you hang out with Jesus, every time you study the Word, you're actually putting hope in your heart, in Him. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. Which I thought is an interesting verse because it kind of points back to what we learned about Mary. Right? Is that Mary could have held a grudge against Peter. And if you'll turn back to Acts chapter 1, here's what you'll find. You'll find that Mary is mentioned, then all joined together, verse 14, then all joined together constantly in prayer in the waiting room. 
along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I'm telling you only this because I'm a pastor and I've been around church people. If she had not, if she had not waited on the Lord for him to save her, if she had held on and tried to get, she waited for the Lord. She didn't wait for revenge, right? If she had been waiting for revenge, she would have been like this in the waiting room. But she wasn't. I've heard Christians do weird stuff because they were holding grudges. One of, my, one of the pastors, the first pastor I ever worked for, Carrie Breen, shout out to Pastor Carrie. He told us this story. I think I've used this a long time ago about how in a Pentecostal church, a word was given from a lady who had, she had like um, borrowed a pot from another woman in the church and that woman had not returned the pot yet i don't mean i mean like a little cooking pot you look confused (laughs) a cooking pot and that woman literally when it got quiet in the pentecostal service and when it gets quiet that's when you know someone's probably going to say something for god when it got quiet she said Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt return what thou hast borrowed. (laughs) What? I mean, I'd have been a pastor that says, thus says the Lord, shut up. (laughs) Like, talk to her after service, right? Like, just go talk to her. Man, Christians do weird things. Why? Because they walk in with offense. You, you, can't, you can't wholeheartedly give yourself to God if you're holding on to your offense. Again, if you're just coming 1.9 times a month, you need to check the other teachings. Because Mary had a sword that pierced her soul, and it was watching her son be rejected, not by the world, but by the people that had followed her, him. And to, to stand in an upper room, in a waiting room with those same men, who had all fled when she stayed, she had to be open and ready to receive. So don't say, I'll repay evil. Wait, kava, for the Lord, and he will save you. Okay, last two things, and then we'll wrap up. Because we tend to think that waiting is passive, let me just talk to you about things that can be done while we're waiting. In our passage in Acts chapter 1, specifically in verses 21 and 22, they filled gaps in the body. Twenty-one. Peter's talking to the group that's in the, it's called the upper room in the Bible. I'm just calling it the waiting room for our message. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. What he's basically saying is this. Y'all know we used to have 12. And Judas, well, y'all noticed he doesn't, he's not with us anymore. And we need to replace him. One of the things that God's doing in our body right now, and it's an awesome thing to be a part of, and it's also a little scary, is he's restructuring like, he's, he's, he's interested in filling gaps, right? And the gaps aren't usually gaps of the heart, but gaps of the hands. Like, I love Jesus, but I'm just not available to do anything. 
Well, he's trying to fix the, the availability gap, right? Like, parents of new, like, young children, raise your hands. Did you notice how when your family started growing, your time shrank? Yeah, there's this, that's called a season of life. And we go through seasons where we don't have as much available time. It's, it's just part of living. But we also go through seasons where we have more time. And, and all they're doing here is they're like, hey, we used to have 12. And he even ties it back to, he says, we need to pick one. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. He ties it right back to Acts chapter 1 verse 4, right? And verse 8. He, they heard Jesus say, I need you to wait to receive the gift so that you will have power to be witnesses. And here's Peter saying, oh, we have a great task ahead of us, and we lost one. We need to replace that person. It's not to make people feel bad that don't have the availability. It's what it does is it elevates the mission of God, right? Like this mission is such a big deal, one person can't pull it off. Neither could 11. They needed to add somebody else. They were positioning themselves as a body to be ready to go be obedient to what God was going to do. So they filled gaps in the body. I'm just going to say, we got gaps. And it, this isn't like twist at your heart and make you feel like you have to. This is a, y'all, we get to be a part of the kingdom coming from heaven to Albemarle. We get to be a part of seeing people set free. We get to be a part of seeing people healed. We get to be a part, and I say this because I've lived it, of sitting, what an honor it is to sit with people who have broken hearts because they just ask you to be with them. Not, don't come with an answer, just be with me. We get to do that. We get to be involved in that. There are gaps to be filled, and he's saying, hey, I need you. I want you to step in there and fill those. What the body was doing in Acts 1 was positioning themselves, again, from pierced to power, positioning themselves so they would not lose the power that was going to be poured out. And we're doing the same thing. Which means if you see a gap... You, you saw a gap for one of two reasons. You're supposed to tell us about it or fill it. I just commission you to fill it, right? Be the body. Fill the gaps. Now, the second thing, it's not in Acts chapter 1, and we'll, we'll close with this. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, and we'll, two, two more scriptures and we'll be done. Are y'all good? Genesis chapter 29, I'm, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. You all have heard verse 11. You have coffee mugs with verse 11, right? Some of you are drinking from them right now. It's a great verse, great coffee cup verse. Let's, let's start back a couple verses before that in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We can't spend time breaking this down, but all of y'all that think that God only does good things for you in your life and you'll never experience any trouble, you should just camp out on that verse and read about how the Lord, the God of Israel, said that he 
carried his children into exile. I'm okay with the quiet. This is what he said to them. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Where? In exile. In Babylon. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, like God goes, let me add this on there too. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. A couple verses after that is when he said, for I know the plans I have for you. The plans he has for us come through the waiting. And while we're waiting, guess what we're supposed to be doing? Settle down, y'all. <laughs> God's like, settle down, y'all. Live. Carry me everywhere you go. Be the best at your job. Be so good at your job that your employer will, will ask you, why are you so good? Jesus, man. Like, Jesus wants me to make your, I want to help you make money. I want to be the guy that gives you the idea, the girl that gives you the idea that gets, that gets you 10 times as much revenue a year. Be that guy. So while we're in the great submission, while we're waiting, here's two things that are happening. He's, we fill gaps in the body, and we do good in the city. We do good in the city. We seek the welfare of our city. We, we go talk to the mayor and say things like, where's the worst place? How can we help? Right? We don't just hold signs and pick it. We also link arms with people who have a solution to the problem that's getting picketed. We seek the welfare of our city. And that is how you wait. I think sometimes what we do is we just pull away. I call it geographical evangelism, where we leave everybody in the world and, and form our own subculture and figure if we do that, they'll come ask us why we left. Geographical evangelism. Why are you living over here? I, I think it's that we're supposed to be the light in the darkness. And then they say things like, why are you so shiny? Right? It's, it's uh, the bar for setting, for setting an example for Jesus has been set so low by the church culture that literally... If you just don't have sex before marriage and stop saying the F word, you will stand out. It's, the culture is dark, but it does not diminish our light. In, in fact, light shines brightest where? In the darkness, right? Remember that story about Christine Kane and her daughter going to shop at Walmart and Christine Kane bought her four-year-old daughter a flashlight and told her like it shines a light and so they walked outside in the parking lot and her daughter turned the light on and said mom it's broken well, it was daytime right and so christine she said it's not broken it just you can't see it in the light 
And the four-year-old daughter said, let's run to the darkness. Right? Like, she gets it. Like, that light is meant to be shined in the darkness. Seek the welfare of your city. Do good in the city. Okay, now, how many of you, don't raise your hand, that's a little bit overwhelming, right? It's like, ugh, that's a lot. Like, I just would rather sing Kumbaya in the corner. I'm with you, right? Like, let's just keep having church potlucks and don't invite any bad people, right? Like, doesn't that just seem easier? So for you, for those of you that are in the waiting room, and I haven't even talked about the really hard places, right? It's another story for another time, but y'all, I have, I have just, tr- we have been in physically in waiting rooms that drain you, that sap you of all energy and all hope and all faith. I mean, if you're in that place, I think of, I think of moms that want to get pregnant and can't, right? I think of Family members who have other family members who are just racked with anxiety and depression. Those places where you just like, I don't see a way out. And you, you're waiting, but you also feel like you're waiting alone. I want to end this morning by reading a verse over you. So that you know that you're not. Isaiah 40, verse 31, yet... Yet, those who wait, those who kava for the Lord, will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. That is the promise from Scripture over people who are waiting. And here's the last thing I want you to take away. Don't let the pause distract you from the promise. He said through Jeremiah, 70 years, when 70 years are completed, I will bring you back to the land of promise. During those 70 years, I need you to plant gardens, marry, build houses, settle down, live your life for my glory in front of your enemies. Don't let the pause from here to there. When it, and I, I mean, am I the only one that feels like sometimes God hits the pause button on the promise? It's like, God, how long? How long do I have to wait? Have you ever said that to God? Like, please hit the play button. I'm back from the bathroom. We can go ahead now, right? And the promise just feels like it's so far away. And we, this is where we lose heart, y'all. And do you see how the Spirit of God has orchestrated all these messages? This is where the gift of long-suffering that Pastor Larry talked about is so critical. Because in this place, I've got to be able to say, I've got the fruit of the Spirit of long-suffering, and I will mount up with wings like eagles. I will run and not get tired. I will, God. I will, because the power is coming. It's coming. And I was pierced 
and now you're preparing me to receive power. And it's coming. Would you do this? Would you just uh, close your I want you to put your hands out. I want to pray over you for you just to receive the hope of the word this morning. And when we get finished and everybody's eating, I believe that if you're here and you need prayer, I think I'm supposed to anoint you with oil. We will anoint you with oil and pray over you. If you're watching online, put your hands out right now. Keep your eyes closed. It'll be easier for me to say this if your eyes are closed. But I just, I chuckle sometimes because the way my mind works, we, we jump all over the Great Commission. That's not the problem we have. The problem we have is the church's submission. Even to the point that right now some of you are like, I don't have to put my hands out. You don't have to. Man. Jesus, do we have to wait in Jerusalem? You've already given us the authority. Yeah, but you need power. And sometimes that comes through submission to a greater power. So God, right now, we just submit ourselves to you. And I pray in this room right now that you would even now begin to fill us with the hope of expectancy. That you aren't done. And that if we're in the waiting room, it's because you have us there. And that you would finish the work you've begun in us. Philippians 1, 6 says that you do. You finish the work. You complete it. And you keep completing it until the day of Christ Jesus. You're not finished if it's not finished. And so I pray right now just a, a portion of hope from the Holy Spirit into the hearts of your children. Those that are sitting in this room right now, that it's all they can do not to just get on the floor in a ball and cry. Oh, God, that you would fill them with hope right now. That they would see that what they're waiting for is worth it. That the promise is coming. And, and, and even embedded in the promise that's still to come is the very promise that you are here now. We don't wait alone. We wait with you. And so, God, I pray that that truth would help us just be, it'd be wind under our wings, and we would begin to soar on wings like eagles. Increase our numbers, God, I pray, because of how we waited on you. In your name, Jesus, amen.